Today is what's sometimes called Good Shepherd Sunday in the calendar of the church. This is the day that we look at one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, Psalm 23. Whether you are a churchgoer or not, I think it's pretty likely that you know this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. It's an incredibly beautiful example of ancient poetry. And for a lot of people, this psalm functions kind of like the serenity prayer. It's a daily reminder of God's presence in their lives. And I know of people who have created entire prayer disciplines on the basis of this one psalm. It's also a psalm that appears frequently at Christian funerals because it's just so comforting. And so I imagine that everybody here already has some kind of relationship to this psalm. It already might be a meaningful part of your life. But that doesn't mean that there might not be something new here for you to discover. One of the things that often helps me when I'm trying to look at the Bible in new and fresh ways is to look at different translations of the original Greek and Hebrew. That's what I'd like to do with you today because there has recently come into print a rather amazing new translation of the Hebrew Bible. It's by a man named Robert Alter, who is a professor of Hebrew at the University of California at Berkeley. He has spent the last 20 years translating the entire Hebrew Bible, and just a few years ago, he finished. His translation takes a different approach than many translations. His goal is to bring the reader as close as possible to the original experience of the Hebrew. And so he brings things out that we often miss in English translations. We often miss elements of humor and some of the word play that you can really only stand, understand if you read Hebrew. We often miss the lyricism of the poetry. So what I'd like to, to do is to read his translation of Psalm 23. And then I want to see if this new translation might open up a few ideas about this psalm that we've never thought about before. So here it is. Psalm 23, a David psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In grass meadows, he makes me lie down. By quiet waters, he guides me. My life he brings back. He leads me on pathways of justice for his name's sake. Though I walk in the veil of death's shadow, I fear no harm, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, it is they that console me. You set out a table before me in the face of my foes. You moisten my head with oil my cup overflows. Let but goodness and kindness pursue me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for many long days. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, we pray that your spirit would open our minds to the wisdom that flows through this beautiful poetry, and that you would open our hearts to one another. In Christ we pray, amen. You may have noticed that at the beginning of this psalm, altar includes the ascription, a David psalm. This is one of those psalms in the Bible that according to tradition was written by King David, the great king of Israel. But some translations don't even include this line and even if they do, 
We often skip that part, don't we? We often simply start with the next line, the Lord is my shepherd. We don't say anything about David, but the original Hebrew contains this ascription. It wants us to know that it was David who wrote this psalm. And I think that makes a lot of sense when you consider David's life. This psalm is about a shepherd. Well, David, of course, was a shepherd. Before he joined the court of Saul, before he slay the Philistine Goliath, before he was crowned king of Israel, David was a young shepherd. Now, a lot of great and terrible things happened to David after he was a shepherd, some of which we're going to talk about today. But near the end of his life, when he wrote this poem, David began to reflect on the nature of God. And the metaphor that he chose was the one that was closest to his own experience, a shepherd with his sheep, because this is what he knew. This was his childhood. He understood sheep. He understood shepherds. And he began to have some insights into the way that God is like a shepherd to us. Let's start with the very first line. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just one sentence. But a really profound idea. If God is your shepherd, you want for nothing. You have everything you need. That's an amazing statement. I mean, can anyone here dare to say that this applies to them? Is there anyone here who would say, I lack nothing? Is there anyone who could be so bold to say, I am totally at peace with myself and with the world. There is nothing that I lack. But this is what David says, when God is your shepherd, you want for nothing. Now for David to say this is pretty remarkable because for most of his life, David was very ambitious. There were a lot of things that he wanted that he didn't have. He wanted power and he got it. He wanted to become king and he became king. He wanted military victories and he got them. He was king during a very rare period of time in which Israel was stronger than its neighbors and was actually acquiring land and not losing land. Again, I want you to imagine the elder David sitting down at the end of his life, writing this poem. He's weaker than he's ever been. He's close to death and yet he has this new awareness. If I have God, there's nothing else I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for anything. And you see, for David, that was quite a remarkable change. When David became king, his desires were insatiable. He wanted to have so much power that he could take whatever he wanted when he wanted it. And one day he was sitting in Jerusalem in his home, and he looked out the window and he saw a beautiful woman bathing on her roof. It didn't matter that she was married. It didn't matter that her husband was a soldier in David's army. The only thing that mattered is what David wanted. He wanted her. And so he sent his servants to bring Bathsheba to his bedroom, and he took her that very day, and then something happened, as it often does. Actions have consequences. She became pregnant. And David was faced with a situation How could he hide this crime when a baby was on the way? First, he tried a variety of manipulations to try to cover up his sin, but when these failed, he resorted to murder. 
He sent the woman's woman's husband into battle. He told the general to put Uriah on the very front lines to ensure that he would be slaughtered, and that's exactly what happened. Why did David do all this? Because at that point, he didn't understand the wisdom that he would later write about, that all we really need in life is for God to be our shepherd. All we really need in life is to trust that God knows our needs better than we do. David had to learn this the hard way. The consequences of his sin were almost overwhelming because God became angry and he brought a lot of things into David's life. Many of you know the story already. God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David about what he did and in a moment of exquisite poetic justice. Nathan told David, the old shepherd, about a sheep. David, there was a poor man who had but one little lamb. He loved this lamb. He fed it. He raised it. He cared for it. But then a rich man stole the poor man's lamb, even though he had plenty of his own sheep. David hears this story not knowing that it's about him. And he becomes outraged. This man has committed a great crime, and that is when Nathan tells him, David, this story is about you. You are the rich man. It's a frightening, terrible scene because suddenly David understands what he's done. And he he understands that this impulsive crime is going to bring consequences. The prophet tells him, the sword will never depart from your house. And in the coming years, this proved to be true. David lost almost everything. All four of his sons were killed. Rape and incest became prevalent in his family. There was political infighting, including one of his own children leading a rebellion against him. All of these, it is suggested, had their root in David's sin. Now, in another person's life, this might have been the end. But let's go back to our psalm. Because amazingly, David writes this, my life he brings back. Though I walk in the veil of death's shadow, I fear no harm for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, it is they that console me. David suggests something here that is pretty remarkable, that he's grateful for the way God punished him. He says, your rod and your staff Console me. A shepherd had two tools. He had a staff which had a a loop for an end and he would use that to pull the sheep back onto the path when they had gone astray. But he also had a rod. And this was a kind of a weapon. The shepherd would beat away predators who might harm the sheep. He would even use it on the sheep if they got out of line. David is saying God used his rod to take away the idols of my life, my lust for power and wealth and pleasure. At the same time, he used his staff to bring me into a place of humility. Because at the end of his life, David was in a very humble place. He had lost all of the things he thought he wanted. He did not get worldly power back. His son Solomon became king. He did not get military victories back. Israel had begun to lose its territory. He did not get his health back. There's an entire story in the book of 1 Kings about how David has become so cold in his old age that no matter how many blankets his servants put over him, he just can't get warm. It's a very weakened, desperate place that he's in when he writes this psalm. And he says that the one thing that he did get is what he needed, 
trust in God. And I think his psalm here raises an interesting question. When you lose things in life, is it possible that God is trying to bring you closer to himself? Is there a way in which God might be using difficulty and suffering to actually help you grow? I don't mean to be cavalier about this, I don't mean to diminish anyone's hardship. Suffering is one of the most mysterious parts of life. However, I will tell you one thing. In my own life, the wisest and kindest and most faithful people I have ever met all share one thing in common. They've all come through suffering. And I've never met someone who was truly wise and truly faithful and truly kind and truly loving who has not had significant suffering in their life. And so in some mysterious way, David seems to be reaching a truth here that God's rod and staff are ultimately for our own good. They are not oppressive tools, they are the tools that help us grow. And that leads me to the last point I wanna make today. And I think that of all of the insights of Robert Alter's translation of Psalm 23, there is one that for me stands above all the others, and it's this line near the end where he writes, let goodness and kindness pursue me all the days of my life. Do you notice the difference there? Every other English translation says, let goodness and kindness follow me all the days of my life. Now that suggests that we are in charge. We are walking along, making decisions, and goodness is just following along, following us. We're in the lead, and goodness and kindness are following us, almost as if God is our servant. Can I get anything for you? But the original Hebrew does not say this. The the Hebrew verb is radath, which is a very active word. It means to run after to track as a hunter might track his prey, to pursue, to chase. It suggests that the good shepherd is chasing after us, not following us, pursuing us, which is an enormous difference. And when you look at the wide scope of scripture, you see that this is reinforced everywhere. Right from the beginning in Genesis, when Adam and Eve are hiding from God in the garden, We read this, the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? God was looking for them. In Psalm 139, another of David's psalms, David writes this, God, where can I go from your spirit? I I can't escape you. If I ascend to heaven, you're already there. If I try to run away and go to Sheol, you're already there waiting for me. There's no place I can go where you are not already there looking for me. The great rabbi Abraham Heschel wrote an entire book devoted to this one idea. The book is called God in Search of Man. Heschel's thesis is that it is not we who are looking for God, it's God who is chasing after us. That one change in this translation makes such a difference because if you know that God is chasing you, then you can have confidence that if you're seeking him, you will find him because he's already there. He wants you to find him. In fact, he's already looking for you. He loves you so much that he is going to refuse to leave you alone. 
Here's another example. Jesus has a great parable in which he says that there's a shepherd who has 100 sheep. If one of those sheep goes missing, what does he do? He leaves the 99 and he sets out to find the one who is lost. God loves you so much that he will leave everything else to try to find you. And this is what David realized at the end of his life, that God had been pursuing him all along. And so I'm going to end this sermon with a challenge, which is to imagine that God is looking for you like a hunter tracking his prey. He's following you through all of the bad decisions of your life, hoping that if he just gets close enough, you'll finally notice him there. Now here's a question. How is he going to find you if you're hiding? And if you are hiding, you know, why are you hiding? Maybe you're like Adam and Eve. They were hiding because they were ashamed. Are you hiding because you feel shame? I can promise you one thing. God can heal that shame if you show it to him. Your sins could not be worse than David's. David murdered an innocent man. If God has a place for David and his flock, if God could forgive David and restore him to life, then God has a place for you. It's really just a matter of seeing that God is your shepherd, trusting that he will give you what you need in life. I think often the situation is this. You, you probably already have what you need in material terms. That's what, that was the situation for David. He had all the power and all the comforts he could ever ask for. But he wasn't satisfied until he realized that all he really needed was to allow God to be his shepherd. Why don't we end in prayer? God, you are our shepherd. You guide us by quiet waters. You bring back our lives. You lead us on pathways of justice for the sake of your name. Help us to relax into your care. Help us to trust you with the deepest longings of our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.